Well, around the world there certainly are some iconic buildings, aren't there? Uh, the pyramids of Egypt, the Taj Mahal of India, the Empire State Building in New York City, uh, the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Uh, magnificent buildings that attract people from all over the world. People who have heard about these buildings and then want to see them with their own eyes. And maybe you have even seen some of these with your own eyes. Here in Sydney, of course, we have our own Sydney Opera House. Again, a world-renowned building that attracts people from every corner of the globe. And I know that when we have visitors from overseas, they always want to go and have a look at the Opera House. And I have to admit, I love taking them there. There is something about standing there in the botanical gardens, looking over at the Opera House with the Harbour Bridge in the background. It's absolutely amazing. When they built the Opera House, they certainly got it right, didn't they? But imagine for a moment if they got it wrong. Imagine for a moment that instead of the Opera House being the, the building that we all know and love, imagine for a moment that the Sydney Opera House looked a little bit more like this. <laughs> yes, this. The UTS building from Ultimo. Ugh. Oh, my goodness. Imagine they put that there, the UTS building, a, a building commonly thought of as Sydney's biggest eyesore. You know, somehow I get the feeling that people from all around the world would not be quite as keen to make the trek down under to come and have a look at this big brown ugly block. When Oprah Winfrey brought her uh, television cameras to Sydney, this is what she had in mind. Not this. Okay, th this is what she wanted to see. N not this. <laughs> Thankfully, though, when they built the Sydney Opera House, they did get it right. And the building has uh, worked to enhance the reputation of our city all around the world, hasn't it? Well, as we turn our attention again to 1 Chronicles, we see that King David wants to build a building. And he, too, wants to build it just right. Not so that it would enhance the reputation of his city around the world, but rather that it, it might enhance the reputation of God himself. Today we pick up the story in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. If you don't already have a Bible open there, can I encourage you to grab one now? Turn with me to 1 Chronicles 22. It's page 301 of the small print, 659 of the large print Bibles. Now the building that David has in mind, of course, is the, the temple and there are now two things that David knows about the temple. Firstly, he knows that God doesn't want him to build the temple, but rather he wants his son Solomon to build the temple. And secondly, he now knows where the tem temple is to be built. It's to be built at the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite, the place where last week, you may remember, atonement was made for the sins of the Israelites. And so now with these two things in mind, David starts preparing for the construction of the temple. And to begin with, he uses his foreign labour force to make the, the large stone bricks that will be used in the construction of the temple. And he also stock, stockpiles huge quantities, and I mean massive quantities, of iron and bronze and cedar wood that will also be used to build the temple. Read with me from chapter 22, verse 2. Chapter 22, verse 2. So David gave orders to assemble the aliens living in Israel. 
And from among them he appointed stone cutters to prepare dressed stone for building the house of God. He provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings, and more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted, for the Sidonians and Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. So David starts uh, gathering all these resources that will be used to build the temple. And for a moment, it looks a little like David is going to disobey God and go ahead and build the temple himself, even though he knows he's not supposed to. But that's actually not the case at all. Now, he's not going to build the temple, but he is going to go to extraordinary lengths to prepare for that time when Solomon will build the temple. See, David knows that this temple, this building, can't be any ordinary building. After all, it is going to be the house of God, the house of the one true God, the maker of heavens and earth. And he knows that this building will be the one place on earth where the people of the nations can come and meet with God. He knows it will be the one place on earth where people can come and have atonement for their sins. He knows it's the one place on earth where people can come and truly worship God. See, this can't be any ordinary building. People around the world ought to hear about this building and then want to see it with their own eyes. So it has to be a magnificent building of world renown. But when David looks at his son Solomon, well, he realises that at this point of time at least, Solomon is just not up to the task. He realises that he's just too young and too inexperienced Left to Solomon, David is worried that the temple of Jerusalem may just end up looking a little bit more like the UTS building of Ultimo rather than the magnificent temple that it ought to be. And so David takes it upon himself to make extensive preparations for the temple. Read with me verse 5. Verse 5. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and Splendour in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. And now, through the rest of today's passage, we'll see something of the, the extraordinary efforts that David put into these preparations. Incredible time and effort and uh, resources to make sure that this temple is built just right. And he starts by summoning his uh, son Solomon to him that he might charge him to go ahead and build this temple and to, and to make sure that Solomon understands just how important this temple is. Read with me from verse 6. Verse 6. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon. 
and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So here, David charges Solomon to go ahead and build the temple. But notice two things here. Notice, first of all, notice that God here calls the temple a house for his name. A house for his name. In other words, God's name is going to be somehow closely associated with this building in such a way that God's God's name, God's reputation will either rise or fall on this building. And secondly, notice the reason why God wants Solomon and not David to build the temple. Because where David has been a man at war with the nations, Solomon will live at peace with them. Why is that significant? Well, because now, once the temple is built, the expectation is that people from the nations will be able to come and freely worship God at this temple, to come in peace and worship him there. And then, in his charge to Solomon, David goes on to describe some more of the extraordinary lengths that he's gone to to ensure that this temple will indeed be renowned throughout the world. Um, Read with me from verse 14. Verse 14, David said, I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone, and you may add to them. See, this this is more of David's stockpile. Now, a hundred thousand talents of gold it's about three and a half thousand tons of gold. Okay, now according to my calculations, that's the weight of about nine fully laden seven four seven jumbo jets worth of gold. Okay, and a million talents of silver. Well, that's about eighty seven fully laden seven four seven jumbo jets. Oh my goodness, do you get the idea? David is putting extraordinary resources into the building of this temple. Because in his mind, this is what the temple is worth. This is what God's reputation is worth. This is what God's plan for the nations is worth. But David's planning for the temple goes beyond just raw materials. Uh, He's also prepared prepared a a skilled workforce to put it all together. Uh, Read with me from verse 15. Verse 15, David says to Solomon, You have many workmen. Stone cutters, masons and carpenters, as well as many skilled in every kind of work, in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work and the Lord be with you. See, so many of them and no, no dodgy tradesmen here. It's, it's all the best of the best. Next, David prepares all the leaders in Israel and he commands them to put their heart and soul into now helping Solomon build this temple. Read with me from verse 17. Verse 17. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. He said to them, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not granted you rest on every side? For he has handed the inhabitants of the land over to me, and the land is subject to the Lord and to his people. Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God 
so that you may bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the sacred articles belonging to God into the temple that will be built for the name of the Lord. And then sometime later, in one of his last uh, acts as king, David gathers together again all the leaders of Israel, but this time he brings along with them the Levites, the, the priests, and he allocates for them the various jobs that they will do once the temple is complete. All in all, there would be some 38,000 men working in and around the completed temple, uh, whether serving in the sanctuary itself or, or acting as officials or, or gatekeepers or, or playing their musical instruments there. Read with me uh, from chapter 23, verse 1. 23-1. When David was old and full of years, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. He also gathered together all the leaders of Israel, as well as the priests and Levites. The Levites, 30 years old or more, were counted, and the total number of men was 38,000. David said, of these, 24,000 are to supervise the work of the temple of the Lord, and 6,000 are to be officials and judges, 4,000 are to be gatekeepers, and 4,000 are to praise the Lord with the musical instruments I have provided for that purpose. So you see, David, he prepares for the temple to be this great hive of activity, a great place of service, allocating jobs to some 38,000 Levites. Um, apparently, uh, Buckingham Palace in London employs uh, 1,200 people. Uh, apparently, the, the Louvre Museum in Paris employs about 2,000 people. But the temple of God will employ 38,000. See, its reputation will go beyond physical appearance to, to what actually happens there. And it will be renowned as a place of extraordinary service. Service fitting for the God who lives there. And then in the, the rest of today's passage, uh, we see uh, which of these 38,000 Levites get to do which of the jobs in the temple. We're not going to read it all, but just, just flick with me through these final chapters. Uh, see there, chapter 23, uh, see all the, the names that are listed there. And then uh, flick over to chapter four, 24, you'll see all, all the names listed there and all the families. Chapter 25 is the same thing, lots of lists of names. And 26, lots of names listed there too. See, this is David allocating um, which families of those Levites will be responsible for which of those jobs in the temple. He allocates jobs to all 38,000 Levites. But do you see, do you see that David here goes to extraordinary lengths to make sure that the temple is not just magnificent in its construction, but, but magnificent in its service too. And why? Because he knows that this building must, must be renowned through the nations. Which, of course, makes us wonder, why are there so many chapters in one Chronicles dedicated to showing this effort that David went to, the effort he went and put into the temple? I mean, what would all of this have meant for the original readers of one Chronicles? Well, to answer that question, we need to enter into the world of the original readers. Now remember, 
that 1 Chronicles was written about when? About 400 BC. Okay, the, it was written to people who lived around 400 BC. That's about 600 years after the reign of King David and the events that we've read about today. What's happened in that time? Well, of course, uh, Solomon did go on to build the temple for God. And yes, it was a magnificent temple. But then, of course, the Israelites sinned and they kept sinning and they refused to stop sinning. And so what did God do? Well, he punished them. He allowed the, the Babylonians to come in to, to destroy the temple and then to take off the Israelites into exile. Now, at the time 1 Chronicles is written, well, now the Jews are back in Israel and they have now rebuilt the temple. But it seems that not all is as it should be. In the book of Malachi, which was written at the same time as 1 Chronicles and written to the same people, we learn that the temple is now being neglected by the Jews. That the people there in Jerusalem are Oh, they're half-hearted about the temple. They'd come to see the temple as a bit of a chore, as a bit of a, an inconvenience. And so instead of the people offering their best at the temple, well, they've been offering their worst. The animals they bring for sacrifice are blind and crippled and diseased. But in neglecting the temple, they've done a terrible thing. Because now, as the people of the nations look at that temple and what's going on there in Jerusalem, well, now they're left thinking, why would I ever want anything to do with the God of that temple? And so God's name has become profaned in the nations. Here, read with me what God says in this excerpt, up on the screen, this excerpt from Malachi chapter 1. God says, Oh, that one of you would shut the, door, the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty, when you bring injured, crippled and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices. Should I accept them from your hands? says the Lord. So do you see, do you see the situation? The, the temple in Jerusalem was no longer magnificent among the nations. Rather, it had become an eyesore. And now it was marring God's reputation among the nations. So do you see now why there is so much space in 1 Chronicles dedicated to the time and energy and resources that David pours into the temple? Because it was, this was to spur these original readers into putting their heart and soul once again into making the temple great for the sake of God's reputation 
among the nations. Which, of course, brings us to ourselves and the question of, well, what do we do with all of this? Well, of course, there is no longer any temple building there in Jerusalem, is there? There hasn't been for one for nearly 2,000 years now. But then that doesn't mean that there isn't any temple. Now, do you remember what... Um, do you remember that time when Jesus was standing there in the courts of the temple? Uh, do you remember what he said to the people around him? He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Of course, the temple he was talking about was himself. He was talking about himself. He was talking about his own body, that he would be put to death, destroyed and raised to life again three days later. You see, according to Jesus, he is the true temple. And when you think about that, it makes perfect sense. I mean, where do God and people truly meet? It's in Jesus, isn't it? And where can people come and find true atonement for their sins? It's in Jesus, isn't it? And where can people come and truly worship God? Well, it's in Jesus, isn't it? You see, Jesus is the reality of everything that that temple in, Ju in Jerusalem represented. He is the true temple. But there is another little twist in all this. Because, you see, after Jesus died and came back to life again, what did he do then? Well, he went to heaven, didn't he? And what did he do then? Well, he poured out his Holy Spirit into his followers, into believers, into Christians. You see, in other words, Jesus is now present in all Christians through his Holy Spirit. And that makes you and it makes me temples of God. That's the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? You see, now you, Christian, are God's temple. Now I am God's temple. And of course, if that's true, then that means that our job now is to be renowned for magnificence among the nations. Now, think about this, now the people of the world ought to look at you and go, wow. Now the people of the nations ought to look at you and say, my goodness, have you ever seen anything quite as magnificent in all your life? Now, fellows, before you all go and hit the gym, it's worth mentioning that looking magnificent here has nothing to do with the size of your pecs or your biceps. Ladies, before you go off and make that appointment at the beauty parlour, you should know that looking magnificent here has nothing to do with hairdos or makeup or anti-wrinkle cream. Yes, we do need to be magnificent-looking temples. But that will happen when we allow people to see Jesus in us. In other words, it's as we are 
Christ-like and allow people to see in us Jesus, the true temple. It's as we live magnificent lives of godliness and service and sacrifice and as we speak magnificent words of the gospel, it's then that people ought to look at us and go, wow, your God really is awesome. And it's then that people will be drawn to Jesus, meeting God in him, finding atonement in him and worshipping God through him. Do you get it? Now you and I are called to be magnificent temples and we do that through our words and through our actions. And friends, I know, I know that many of you are seeking to be magnificent temples among your neighbours and among your workmates and among your, the, the people at school and among your family members. And friend, I want to encourage you to keep on doing that, being that kind of magnificent temple among those people. But, but, there is one final twist in all of this that I need to bring to your attention. And that's the fact that now there is one major, major difference between Christians as the temple of God and that temple that was built there in Jerusalem all those years ago. And the difference is that the temple today has legs. You see, friends, God still has a plan for the nations that involves his temple the difference is that now the expectation is not that the nations will come to the temple. Now the expectation is that the temple will go to the nations. In some of his final words before he ascended to heaven, Jesus said this in Matthew 28. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, friends, Jesus is always with us through his Holy Spirit. We are now God's temple, but now the command of Jesus is that we go into the nations, that we go and be magnificent temples among the tribes and nations that are yet to hear of him. Friends, there are literally billions of people in our world who know not a single Christian. And what they really need is the opportunity to see God's temple. What they really need is the opportunity to see Jesus through the magnificent words and actions of Christians. My question is, how will they ever have that opportunity if no one goes? How will they ever have that opportunity if all we do is stay here in our holy huddle? And so to finish today, what I want to do is leave you with two challenges two ways 
You can help make God's temple renowned in the nations. The first way is by supporting our missionaries. The first way is by really getting behind our mission partners and making sure that they continue to be magnificent temples around the world. In just a few weeks, we will, of course, have our Mission Sunday collection. And that will be a significant way for us to keep Christ-like Christians in Ecuador and Bangladesh and New Zealand and Japan and Portugal and even amongst the Jews right here in Sydney. That is truly exciting. And that is why I unashamedly encourage you to give big this Mission Sunday. Now, chances are, unlike King David, you don't have nine fully laden 747s worth of gold to give away. That's all right. I still encourage you to give big. Whatever big might be for you. Why? Because God's temple is worth it. Because God's renown is worth it. And secondly, and finally, in terms of what you can do to make God's temple renowned in the nations, well, look down for a moment. Like, literally. Have a, have a look down. Have a look down there. Look, see, see those two things hanging off the end of your torso there? Well, they're your legs. You see, you are a temple on legs. And maybe, just maybe, you could go and be God's temple someplace it's needed around the world. Let me ask you, have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered becoming a missionary yourself? Because I dare say most of us haven't. Well, not, not seriously, anyway. I mean, think about the sacrifice involved. Uh, you'd probably have to give up a high-paying job. Chances are you'd have to learn another language, uh, adapt to another culture, uh, probably be very disruptive on your family members. There's probably other family members that you'd have to leave behind. You'd have to leave behind your friends. Oh, so much sacrifice. I guess the question is, what kind of sacrifice is God's reputation worth? A blind sheep? A crippled goat? A diseased cow? No, surely he's worthy of our best, isn't he? Now, I'm not saying that every one of us ought to pack up tomorrow and go overseas as a missionary, but I do think that every one of us ought to be asking ourselves the question... Why not me? Why not me? And so, to finish, can I encourage you to keep thinking about this? And can I encourage you to start praying about this? And I, can I encourage us all to be talking with one another about these kind of issues? And maybe you would like to take the opportunity at morning tea to ask somebody the question, why not you? Just be prepared for them to ask you the same question in return.
Friends, let's pray now. Let's pray that God's temple will indeed be magnificent in the sight of people all around the world. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the encouragement we've received this morning from your word, uh, for the good news that you do have a great plan for all the peoples of this world. Uh, We thank you that you invite all people everywhere to meet with you at the true temple, Jesus. Uh, Thank you that in him we find atonement for our sins and can truly worship you. Thank you that he has poured out his Holy Spirit into our lives, making us your temples. Father, please help us to be magnificent temples as we work hard at being Christ-like in our words and our actions. And Father, help us to consider seriously how we can obey Jesus' command to have your temple go into the nations. Father, help us, like King David, to put extraordinary time and energy and resources into making that happen whether it be through our giving on Mission Sunday or through going ourselves. And Lord, please use us to have your name honoured all around the world. In Jesus we pray. Amen.